Hi, I'm Dr. Daniel Golshevsky, paediatrician and father of three. Welcome to my podcast, Dr. Golly and the Experts. Each episode, I'm joined by a parent who has faced an enormous challenge in raising their child and come out the other side as the expert. Belle and Rory Sloan are public figures, best known for Belle's work as a TV presenter on Channel 7 and Rory's prowess on the AFL footy field for the Adelaide Crows. But behind closed doors, the couple have experienced a devastating loss. In 2018, their son Leo was stillborn at 34 weeks. Five years on, they are, like me, proud ambassadors for Red Nose Australia, helping to support and educate families about stillbirth. In addition to Leo, they are also parents to Sunny, Bodie and Summer, so they very much have their hands full right now. Belle and Rory, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Thanks for for having us. Cheers, mate. Firstly, congratulations on the arrival of your daughter, Summer, late last year. How's she going? She's good. She's yeah, very good. She's um, nearly seven or nearly eight months now, isn't yeah, she? So she's sort of like slotted straight into the family. She hasn't really had a choice with her big brothers. So oh, what, what do the brothers think about her? Yeah, oh, they love her. Sunny, uh, Sunny, being the the eldest, he's almost four, but he's uh, he's a very caring, gentle soul, and he's uh, we've got him actually on the bottle, feeding her a little bit now too. So that's pretty cute to watch. They're obsessed, and sometimes. Like they'll speak to her and the way that they speak to her, we're like, is that what we sound like? It's almost like they mimic us and we're like, pull it back a bit. Definitely mimic us, absolutely. <laughs> They're very cute with her. Now, let's let's dive straight in. Talking about your firstborn son, Leo, he his story begins before pregnancy. He was an IVF baby. So talk us through uh, briefly your experience of that process. Yeah, well, we, um, we like many others, like leading up to your wedding, you decide, you know, start trying um, to conceive. We obviously had no idea how long it would take us. I mean, in your head, you always kind of think and are of the belief, whether we were naive or not, that when you start trying, it happens pretty quickly, unless there's anything obviously really wrong, which there wasn't. So we started trying. Um, I was sort of doing everything I could, was doing all the ovulation testing and everything like that. And yeah, a few little extra natural ways to help with fertility. And yeah, it just was taking us quite a while. So we went and saw a fertility doctor who said, yeah, I think we probably need to go down the fertility route because things aren't sort of adding up as to why we weren't falling pregnant. So yeah, we went and did a couple of rounds of IUI before then delving into IVF because we were sort of told you might, it's it's less invasive, so it gives that a go first. So we did three rounds of that before then going ahead with IVF and thankfully um, our first round of IVF was successful and we fell pregnant with Leo. And it was a largely unremarkable, it's a word we use in medicine, so a pretty straightforward pregnancy, including normal scans, even almost up to that fateful day. Yeah, it was. Had a great pregnancy. So uh, we kind of were ticking things off along the way as we sort of would expect to. The doctors were really happy with how everything was progressing with Leo's growth and everything like that. I was feeling quite a bit of movement. And yeah, as you mentioned, had a scan with my obstetrician. I think it was two days before we realised that we'd lost Leo. So the day that we went... That was just a little ultrasound. Yeah, it was a little ultrasound in the rooms. 
yeah, and everything seemed to be on track. Um, so, yeah, mentally we were preparing to meet our baby within the next six or so weeks. And Rory, tell me about that day, the day at the beach. Um, yeah, it was a morning. Oh, we were, I went for a surf actually and B came down as she would sometimes and go for a stroll while I surfed. We, uh, we're, everything was sort of, I suppose, normal-ish. We hadn't really noticed too many kicks and stuff like that early in the day. And then, um, but because we were busy and surfing, walking, driving back to home, it wasn't until we had, we had a, like sort of the same routine most nights and it wasn't until we got into bed that night and I normally put my ear on um, Belinda's belly and just to see if I could hear anything. I'd talk to, talk to Leo. We didn't know it was Leo then. We didn't know the sex of, um, we didn't know he was going to be a boy then, but um, I'd talk to him and wait and feel some kicks and he usually kicked around that time of the evening and we we couldn't feel much. And B's like, yeah, actually started thinking about it. I just haven't really felt him much throughout the whole day too while we're down the beach and even in the car. So, yeah, the discussion we sort of had then and there was like, well, what do we do? We're like, well, let's just let's just head into the hospital and, and go and just get a checkup just to, just to see if everything's okay. And Bell, did you know what was happening, even if you didn't, didn't want it to be the case? No, I think... I just had so much, I suppose, so much trust trust in my body because I had had such a straightforward pregnancy. I just presumed that if you're going to lose your baby, you would have some pain or there'd be some indicator aside from movement. So I was thinking, well, I'm not bleeding. I'm not in pain. I was worried, of course, like super worried. You always think the worst. But I think at the time the negative didn't really fill my brain too much because I didn't have any of those indicated, well, what I thought would be indicators of something going so left. And talk me through the process when you arrived at hospital, exactly what happened. Yeah. So we got to the hospital, um, went up to the maternity ward and thankfully, so when we were at home before we left, we called our obstetrician, Chris, and he called ahead at the hospital Um, And he actually said to us, I'll meet you there. He was around, I think, around the area at the time um, with another client, I think. So, So we got there, went to the back. They were expecting us. And it was kind of slow. Like it was like, okay, like we'll get you in. You know, we weren't, we were sort of like, okay, let's just get in there now. Like we just need to see this little baby and make sure everything's fine. Anyway, so got taken into a room, you know, it felt like time stood still. It felt like it was a really long time before we finally got in there and um, got the Dopplers put on and or the CTG. They were tracking the baby's heartbeat and they couldn't, there was no heartbeat. Take your time. That, that's a, that, that moment or... Yeah, just that that silence, like we, we'd had scans before and obviously when you do the ultrasound, we'd always just ask to hear the heartbeat and it's the most beautiful sound ever and that silence was, yeah, completely deafening. I, I remember just, yeah, I remember the look on the, we had a couple of ladies who were doing running the test and I remember the look on their faces and they were sort of glancing up and, and sort of potting around or pushing around and trying to find a different position to maybe... We were, maybe Leah was in a, a poor position to to get a reading, but yeah, that uh, their look certainly 
told us all we need to. But it was before. It was, so it was even before that they they put the CTG on, and the nurse was pressing so hard. I feel like she was almost touching my spine from the front. And at the time, I had a big bump as well. But she was just pressing right in because she's thinking, nah, this is not right. And I could see she was she, like, she's holding out any ounce of hope. And she just said, I'll be back in a second. And she left the room and she came back in with the ultrasound machine and, you know, where we got a visual. So we knew where to look for the heartbeat. And she came in and she brought another nurse in with her because for her, that's a horrible thing to have to tell a family. That's, yeah, I really feel for her as well. <laughs> And she came in and she she popped the ultrasound machine on my belly. And in that moment, both of our eyes went to straight where we know the heart is on this little baby. And just remember not seeing that flicker. And I just said to her, there's not a heartbeat, is there? There's, there's nothing. And they both just, their faces just dropped. And by this time, our obstetrician was there and we were all just, I went silent. I, I was just in complete shock and Rory just broke down and he said, no, but before I heard a heartbeat, like I heard it, but what he actually heard on the machine was my heartbeat and that was heartbreaking because I could see that he was just clinging on to any last little bit of hope that Leo was still okay. And what were you told and where did you go? What? I mean, that period of time must have felt like hours and hours. Exactly how did you process it and where did you move to from that moment? We had a, I remember they gave us a, a bit of time together, probably more to grieve and just to get a little understanding of, of what was going on. And that was, yeah, that's probably, I mean, as a, probably more from an individual, like from a husband point of view I mean I I was obviously incredibly sad and frustrated and hurt but I couldn't understand the pain that Belinda must be going through after carrying this child and then to be told that but to still have a the the bump everything to she still looked pregnant that was more my thought was like oh what's next and that's where we were so lucky to have Chris our obstetrician in there because he guided us through all the options that we could that we could undertake from that point on. And yeah, without him, we, we probably would have done things a bit differently, but his honesty and I suppose his experience from all his years, because he's, he's gone through this before, but all his experience, that certainly helped us make some very calculated decisions and probably some decisions that have really shaped us. And yeah, some of the memories we have with Leo and the whole birthing process of Leo's is stuff. Yeah. That it, it's, it's painful, but it's also some beautiful moments in there as well. Speaking of those decisions, it's something that people often don't uh, think about. They certainly don't talk about. Stillbirth is something that a lot of people are aware of. But as you said, Belle, you are very much pregnant and 34 weeks is a very big baby. And you have to think about, okay, how do we now get this baby out, get this baby delivered? So what options were presented to you and specifically what was the timing of those different options? Yeah, so on the night, so after we were given the news about Leo, they they had told us, okay, so you'll stay in the hospital tonight. So I wasn't going to go home that night. I was from going in, that's I was staying in there until I had him. And we were sort of overwhelmed by that. 
But then our obstetrician was like, no, 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 let's send them home, get some time for them to think about their options and what they like to do. Because obviously making decisions in that heightened emotional state is hard. So I think he was very well aware that like he wanted us to process it. Um, So we had the option to have a cesarean or be induced. And I had lost all confidence in my body, my decision-making, and I was just looking to anyone that would give me the answer. And everyone kind of had the same answer. It's individual. It's completely up to you guys. I remember just thinking, what's what's the most least painful, quickest, uninvasive way? Um, That would have been cesarean in in my thought process right then and there. But least painful cesarean, he says. (laughs) I was thinking for you. I was thinking. Says the person who doesn't get a needle in his spine. (laughs) No, but we. I I was the same. I thought Caesar is quick. Just get it done. Um, As awful as that sounds. But um, Chris, our obstetrician, kind of pointed us without pointing us in the direction of being induced. And so we went home that night, came back first thing the next morning. They said, come back when you're ready in the morning and we'll just get the process going. So we came back. We went home that night, called some family, which was hard. But then they all are based in Melbourne. We're in Adelaide. So they all came over that next day to be with us in Adelaide. And yeah, we went into the hospital and started the whole induction process as you would if you were to have a baby that you were going to take home at the end of the day. So exactly the same process, except knowing the result was going to be completely different. So mentally, I think that was hard to get our head around because it was a drawn out process. It took time. We ended up having to break my waters and things like that. It took time, but in the end, I think what got us through was knowing that, yeah, we don't get to take Leo home at the end of the day, but we get to finally meet him and hold him and just feel like the parents that we want to be. That's incredible. And Rory, you found out that Leo was a boy just before he was delivered. What was that like? Uh, very emotional. I was just thinking about that moment before actually, um, because that was, yeah, we were going to wait until he was born to find out his, his sex, but yeah, finding out that he was a boy, it wouldn't have mattered boy or girl, but just finding out, I suppose those more, more details just made it feel even more real that we weren't going to take him home. We had a name picked out, um, a couple of names. Leo was further down the list, um, and I'm not sure why Leo, I can't remember why that just, we, he just straight away, Belinda just looked at us and thought, yeah, Leo, I think we actually named him after he was born, didn't we? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that moment was, yeah, finding out in the scan just before everything. I was, I, I don't know, I, that's where I broke down probably more because. He had an identity then, I suppose, in a sense. Yeah, it wasn't just a baby. Yeah, it, it's it just made everything feel more more real that this is actually happening and we're going to have to go through this whole process. So, And Belle, you, you said that you really felt for Rory in that moment. I did. I just, I just felt like my heart broke for Rory. I mean, regardless if Leah was a boy or a girl, but I just thought that's, that's a mini him, like that's his best mate, that's his... Yeah, it's just a mini Rory and I think just looking at him and as he said, he really broke down and that 
really got me that moment. That was, yeah, that was a hard one to digest, I think. You know, I was speaking to my mum, the, the this podcast number one listener, about stillbirth, and she, uh, I'm one of three, her first two were born in South Africa, and prior to my middle brother's arrival, my mum uh, stillbirthed twins at 26 weeks. Wow. And she was talking me through how it was done, and granted this is a different country in a different time, she vaginally birthed as you did and she was not allowed to see the children uh, sorry I, I i must correct myself it wasn't stillbirth um she went into labor and at 26 weeks in those times in the 80s um there wasn't a chance for survival like there is now and so a, a decision was made um to not resuscitate so the twins were born alive um, and incredibly, they she was not allowed to see them. She was not allowed to touch them. They were just taken away. She forced the doctor at the time to tell her. Uh, he didn't want to, but she forced him to tell her that it was two boys, and um, and that was it. She doesn't know what oh happened with the bodies. A very, very different way of managing this process. And yeah. when I told her how it happens now, she she just she was so glad that we've come so far. And, and I want to really spend, I want to delve into this period of time that you spent with Leo because it yeah. sounds like despite the heartache that it was just so beautiful. So tell me about that time in the room about family and exactly what happened after he was born. So when we had Leo, we just had the obstetrician and a midwife in the room. We didn't need a pediatrician, obviously. We didn't didn't need anyone else. So there was only four of us in the room. So when we had him, it was just super intimate and it was actually a beautiful moment. It was, you know, I did my final push and he came out and thinking back, like it, it's really a strange one upon reflection because I remember thinking it wasn't chaotic, it was nothing, but it's because we didn't have a crying baby. It was just silence and it's not the way it should be. But in that moment, I, I know I sort of forgot that we weren't taking him home. I know I remember looking at Rory when they brought him out and I grabbed him and I just said, oh, my gosh, he's so perfect. And I was looking at him and just looked like a sleeping baby and I remember Rory just beside himself, like he was so upset. And that kind of brought me back to the reality of, oh, wow, yeah, like we're not taking this. This isn't the perfect moment that we always imagined. But it became now, looking back, the perfect moment for Leo because from that point on, we were his parents. Everyone in our life knew his name. Our family that had come from Adelaide all rushed in to meet him. We had a day and a half with him. We would get up in the morning. He was in his in his little um, cuddle cot, which it's a cuddle cot keeps their bodies warm so they don't change as quickly as what they would. And, you know, we would sit there, have our little breakfast at the table. Just we, I think we really... We had such a short time with him, but we made so many memories that I am just so glad we took that time and really thought about how we wanted to spend that time because we can't go back and we can't recreate. So I think we were really conscious of that at the time. And I think our family that did meet him is just so grateful for that time that they had with him because now when we talk about him, they were there. They met him. When we talk about 
oh, his little lips or his nose, does it look like, does he look like Sonny or Bodie? Or they can weigh in on that conversation and they felt him, they held him, you know, they saw us with him. And I just think that time you can't get back and you you can't change. So I just know, yeah, for, for people out there who may go through this or may have gone through this, I really hope that, yeah, you really take that time to create those memories because that's really what we hold on to now. And I'm just so grateful for that time, although not long enough. I think we made the most of that time we had with him. And so yeah. Rory, how, how long did you have with him before you said goodbye and what were the, the memories and the mementos that you, you took from that time? Um, as B said, we had, a, I think we had a couple of days with him. There's, there's little moments that just stand out for me and it's, again, we're probably guided by the people in the room, but the midwife at the time just started, just grabbed their camera, uh, grabbed their phone and took some photos for us and treated it like, I suppose anyone or any other normal birth, which some of those photos we have of us first holding Leo are still incredible for us to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, I cut his umbilical cord, like Chris asked me if I wanted to do that. And these all might seem a little strange to people, but it made it feel, because at that point in time, it was our firstborn child. And that just, it really made it feel like our firstborn child and he's a part of our life. So those little, I suppose those little things, they might not have seemed like much, but they stand out for me um, massively. I'll never forget holding him for the first time. My hand, um, he was wrapped up in a bit of a towel, but my hand was on his was on his bum and his bum was ice cold, but I still remember that touch, that feel, the way his skin felt. When I close my eyes, I, I can still imagine that. So that was a really beautiful moment. Photos, videos, all the above. Just uh, it's hand more prints. hand prints, hand yep, hand molds. Yeah. Anything anyone came in and said, oh, would you like this? We were sort of just, yes, we would love that. <laughs> yes. That'd be nice because we wanted just to hold on to absolutely any time we had. And we've still got his ashes in a little urn that um, is probably one of our most sacred pieces, I suppose. Uh, he sleeps with the, the boys um, in their bedroom um, in between Sonny and Bodie. Um, and yeah, Leo comes everywhere with us. The boys have to kiss him goodnight. They love kissing him good night that's not our choice sorry that i might have sounded like i forced that upon him but no the boys love kissing him good night and and love talking about him too so that's that's really that's beautiful i mean do you feel like the efforts that you went to and the time that you had those two days that you had was confirmation for want of a better term of the fact that he was he's part of your family he's and 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 i feel like your mentality has been imbibed by your children. And so, as you said, he goes on holidays with us. There are photos of him on the wall. He's very much part of your family. Yeah, we certainly feel him. And that's one thing over the last five years. We certainly feel him as much of a part of us as our our children. That's because we do speak about him. We It's probably how we've grieved too. And in particular, we, we do look for things that make us think of Leo. And I think that that comes to us a lot throughout our everyday life, but um, it certainly comes off the back of, uh, and again, it came back to, I think the whole birthing process and having Chris guide us down that path of having a natural birth, because that was, uh, I've said this to, to Belinda before, but that's the most courageous decision I've ever seen anyone undertake is knowing you have a, a dead child in your belly, um, 
and still taking the option to give birth to that child, knowing the outcome, uh, for me, there's nothing, nothing braver in life. It never ceases to amaze me, or you'll be able to uh, talk to this about how you know you work in a macho field. You're dealing with injuries and, and high testosterone and strength, but what women can do is completely on another level, isn't it? On a different scale, yeah. That's a different sort of different sort of bravery. That is, yeah, by far and above anything that I've ever achieved <laughs> by a long shot. <laughs> Now, one of the consequences of having options is that you then have to make decisions. How, Bell, did you make the decision that, okay, at this time, we're going to hand Leo over? Oh, that was that was a tricky one. I so, don't know if that was our decision. <laughs> no, so, we're, so originally the nurse said to us, okay, you're going to have to um, pick a funeral director because obviously we're getting him cremated. So... You know, my mum got on board and rung around and she organised all that, which was nice. We didn't have to do that. We didn't have to waste our time doing that. But we sort of were starting to see him change. So colour was changing, skin was changing. And we just, we would have kept him in that room with us for a week if, you know, if we could have. But we really wanted to remember him, you know, the way that, we first met him and selfishly, yeah, like I said, we could have kept, we could have stayed there for a week with him, but for ourselves and for Leo, there needed to be a time when we, we finally said goodbye and we wanted to do that when he was still looking like our little boy that we remember. And that I think was the hardest moment definitely because after having a baby, you don't think that you're going to be leaving without them or never seeing them again. I just remember the... I just remember them coming to collect him and putting him in this little carry bed and leaving the room with him. And I think that was definitely the hardest moment. I know it was the hardest moment for me because from the moment you have a baby, they're completely dependent on you. And seeing this two-day-old baby leave without me was just heartbreaking. I don't think anyone can ever prepare themselves for that. So he left the room and I just remember following them out. They got in a lift and I just remember following them out just thinking this is so messed up that we're now in this birthing suite without our baby yet he's left the hospital and we're never seeing him again. And there's no other words to describe it, but just the feeling of complete devastation and just failure in that moment. I just remember thinking, wow, my body really failed me. And looking back on that, it's it's not, you know, I've had time to reflect and it's I don't feel that way anymore. But in that moment, I just remember just feeling so solely responsible for the fact that we couldn't bring our baby home. And, you know, we talk about parental guilt, mother's guilt. You said you used to have that, but you don't have that anymore. No, I think um, take a bit of solace in the fact that, you know, we had every t- test done under the sun. Um, we've got 
um, some great, great people here in Adelaide doing studies and, um, you know, the research that Red Nose does and everything like that. And there was no cause found for the fact that Leo died. And I think if the medical world at this point can't work it out, how can I blame my body? Because, you know, I've gone on to now have three additional healthy kids and I just think labouring on the fact that it was me and what could I have done, it's not going to get me anywhere. Leo's still not here and it just because he's not physically here, it doesn't mean he's not a part of our life. And I think just the way we look at that experience now of having Leo is completely different to how we looked at it in the moment. I want, I want to know where you find the strength, Belle and Rory, because, you know, everybody does grieve differently. And sometimes the loss of a child can drive couples apart. Sometimes it can make people never want to get pregnant again. Where did you find the strength to get through that moment each day and then to get to this point years later where you, you're not just able to talk about it, you're going out there to talk about it, to try to help others? That takes an enormous amount of strength. I think it brought us close. Like we were always super close, but I think it, it really brought us closer. We grieved slightly differently, but we we went and saw a grief counsellor um, and she was amazing, just exactly what we needed. We would see her once a week over the over the period of up until we had Sunny, I think. She certainly helped us feel like it was okay, completely okay, because we were grieving quite differently. But but it never became it never it never came between us in a negative way. It was I think it was a great thing that we grieved differently because Rory taught me a lot and I taught him a lot and Rory is like a pillar of strength. Like he is the most positive human you will ever meet. And I think from that moment, it really rubbed off on me. And I think since having Leo, I'm definitely a different person. That's that's a given. But I think Rory really taught me a lot during that time about like find the great things in life and find what you're grateful for. Um, and I think we both now really focus on on that. So like you can get dealt a pretty shitty hand, but, you know, what's the positives out of it? And I just think there are so many positives to take from from having Leo. And we, you know, on this podcast, we spoke with Jared Roughhead, who himself was dealt a pretty rough uh, set of cards, but he spoke about resilience that he brought from his footy uh, and, and being an elite athlete. Rory, is that always part of your personality or did you lean a lot on that sort of mentality training from the work that you do? Uh, no, I don't think it stemmed from footy. I think it stemmed from the ocean and surfing, to be honest, because I, I did, I, I really struggled probably the first couple of weeks where I was probably more angry and upset and I didn't always let that show, I don't think. But there were, I, I had this moment and I'll, I'll remember it so clearly still when for a surf down the mid coast down in South Australia, it was this it was almost on sunset, sun was dropping, incredible night, like beautiful. And I was sitting out in the ocean and there wasn't many people out. And I just had this moment where the sun was dropping and it made me think of Leo. And I was I was I was just in tears out there, this beautiful, beautiful moment in the ocean where I was having an absolute ball, made me think of my dead son. And I was I was sort of sitting there going, how can I feel such two different polarizing, emo like opposite emotions? I'm so happy in this moment, but I'm still grieving. 
but I realized that you can have these moments and other things started popping up in life where I'd go for a surf and there'd be like thousands of butterflies floating around or there'd be pods of dolphins ripping through the water. And all these moments kept making me think of Leon. I'm going, how are these beautiful moments making me think of such a, a hard time in my life? And I was like, well, that's just, I just accepted that that was just my way of grieving. And if I could accept that these and, and start looking for these beautiful times in life where that make you happy, then that, that was the way I was going to grieve and keep thinking of, of my son. And maybe there was the little signs that my son was sending to me. So that's, that's the point that I got to. And that's what I think of, I think of hope I've shared with our family too. And now we all sort of look for those little signs in everyday life, whether it be butterflies, animals, um, the white sky. Feathers. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> We've got a feather couch and feather there's couch, so many yeah. white feathers white in there. Feathers. <laughs> Leo sent us a feather. Uh, Leo's, okay, Leo sent us 100 feathers today, boys. Yeah. <laughs> but it was. It was a really nice moment to have. And I have those still very regularly, those those moments in life. And I'm, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a good way to look at any situation, really. And, and being positive, I B says I'm the most positive person, not all the time, but it's a choice, I think. And you've always got a couple of options of how you want to attack anything in life or any situation because everyone's, everyone goes through shit in life. Everyone has a story and it's, it's how you want to attack it. And this is, I think, just how we wanted to attack our life afterwards. Certainly having people share their stories with us too was um, the other thing that got us through this time. We had so many people reach out and share stories like your mother we had grandparents now that had reached out. Who had never told their kids that they had siblings, wow. you know, years before them. And they would reach out to us and say, I finally built up the courage to tell my 50-year-old son that he has, he had a brother. And, you know, like those stories were just incredible. Yeah, I think it's because of the work that, that people like you are doing that we're having a shift in society. Like, Belle, if, to, to prove this point, when someone asks you how many kids you have, it's a very common question, mm. your answer is? Often it, m- more than not, it's four. And then I don't, depending on who it is, I'll go into it. Otherwise, you know, I'll say, you know, I've got, they'll say, how old are they? And I'll say, well, three and a half, two and a half and seven months. And I also had, my first little boy would be four or would be five. If I'm getting my nails done at the nail salon and I'm not in the mood to, you know, go into my life story or I just want to have just a really lighthearted, chill, you know, I'm just having a day where I'm I'm just not feeling my strongest, I'll often say, I've got I've got three kids and then I'll just get this cloud of guilt come over me. No, and, I always but, hear you say you've got three kids here. Here. Yeah, yeah. I, that's another one. I've got three kids here and I'll often get this class and I'll walk out and say, sorry, Leo, sorry, Leo, because <laughs> I get this guilt. But more often than not, it's four because I just think, like, I'm so proud of him and he is a part of our life. And It sounds like he's a big part of your life. Yeah, the additional kids are here because of him mm. and I just think, yeah, I'm a mum of four, dad of four. That's plain and simple. Your pregnancy with Sunny from the same IVF batch yes. as Leo, but yep. you felt guilt for wanting another baby. What was talk yeah. me through those emotions? So straight after having Leo, we wanted we both actually I can't remember how you felt. 
it's quite Nervous. bad, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Nervous. I was desperate to have another baby and it wasn't, it, and I think a lot of people that I've spoken to since having Leo have felt this. They still have that just desire to have that baby here to hold and they feel guilty for feeling that way. And I, I did. I felt guilty for wanting to have another baby straight away. And it's, like I said, it's not the replacement. It's that whole fact of I was pregnant for eight plus months and at the end of the day I had Leo and he was no longer there. He wasn't in my belly and he wasn't there to hold. And I remember saying to Rory, I just have this feeling of almost, the best way to describe it is separation anxiety. I've been carrying my little mate for all of these months and then he's just gone. All of a sudden he's gone and he's, I can't, I can't see him. I can't feel him, nothing. And I just think from the moment you fall pregnant, you picture your future and that child is a part of your future. You've already played out the next 20 years of your life. So to not have them there, you've still got that desire to just have that child that you so badly want to mother or father. So we did go ahead and start the embryo transfer process. And thankfully, again, it took first time and that was then sunny. And and your pregnancy with Sunny very different from an emotional point of view to yours with Leo? Yeah, it was it was a tricky one. It was very anxious time, really highly monitored. So yeah, I think the best part was I didn't feel like there was anything that was too much of an ask. So my obstetrician just made me feel 100% comfortable. I went with the same obstetrician that we had Leo with. He'd gone through the ride with us and I just thought he knows our medical history. He was awesome. So we went with him and he made sure that I was booked in for extra scans, extra monitoring. So towards the end, so we lost Leo at 34 weeks. So from I think about 30 weeks onwards, I had an appointment with him one week and then every alternate week I had an appointment at the scanning clinic to have the full thorough growth scans and everything like that. And then from 34 weeks onwards, every weekend, I was able to go to the hospital for a CTG scan. And I was in there for about an hour each weekend. And then in between that, there were a couple of scary times where we would just duck down to the hospital and just have some monitoring done. It was really just breaking it down, wasn't it, for us? Because we knew we wanted just to get to just over 37 weeks. Um, We were locked in. 36. 36 and a half, was it? 36 and three. 36 and 3. Now, Sonny had, had, had a different plan in that he was facing <laughs> the wrong way, so he didn't give you the option exactly. to deliver vaginally. But, Rory, how was that moment for you? Did you know it was a boy? Yeah, we, f- we found out it was a boy. And that was, yeah, was uh, that just, again, helped with the whole pregnancy, just knowing. Having more we, knowledge. Mm. Yeah, and just going, well, worst case, if this does happen again, then we've had 36 weeks of knowing it's this little person little, feeling like little boy Sonny feeling like you've known him for that period. Now you said uh, to me, Belle, that Sonny's very much got Leo's spirit in him. He's got Leo's uh, name as his middle name. Yeah. So when he arrived, when Sonny arrived, and you know, screaming as you said before, the way it should be, the way you'd always imagined it and dreamed. What was that moment like for the both of you when you held Sonny in your hands? It was the biggest relief. It was, we have done it. And I can't even explain the relief that we felt in that moment. It was amazing. And just, but it's still funny because in that moment, I remember thinking Leo brought him to, like he, 
he looked after him during this pregnancy. Like Sonny was just healthy and everything went textbook the way it should. And I just, it was just that relief, like so much joy in that. And everyone in the room just, you could see it. Everyone went, like everyone just felt. I've never been. done it. (laughs) It was that. And then I. Yeah, I got to have a whole. Oh, we got and this, then the most awkward the dad you've ever met. Funniest photo <laughs> ever of me trying to hold Sunny. Like I'm just, it's like I was going to drop a cradle of eggs or something. We were used to holding, so you know, like dogs. The first newborn Rory had held was held was Leo, and he had no strength. He was just he was floppy, and so then he's he's holding yeah. Sunny as though he's going to, and Sunny's just sort of like. Flicking around, and he's just kind of like, oh, like it was just so <laughs> awkward. But you know what? It was so lovely because I was like, this is the way it should be. This exactly. is, it was great. And did did you get a chance to really enjoy your pregnancy with Summer? Was it more relaxing that time? Yeah, you know what? I, I definitely did, and I think with um, Bodhi, I did as well. I I enjoyed it with Sunny, but it was just heightened yeah. sense of just anxiety. And I know Rory struggled a lot with. Sunny, I reckon, because he didn't want to worry me. So he'd be think he'd be wanting to ask me, oh, how have how, you felt him today? Have you yeah. felt him today, but then he have didn't you felt want him to, this hour. He didn't this want minute? to. And then I'd sit there at night and I'd go, "You're so quiet." And he's like, "Is everything? Have you, have you felt the kicks today?" <laughs> so I'd like, like I'd a just bit roll of over, around each other. Pretend I was spooning her, but really, I just wanted to feel it. He was doing a kick count. Thinking, oh, he's giving me so many cuddles. He's a nice spoon. No, I'm just getting the kick count. But no, definitely we did. And I think um, I think an added little, which was tricky at the time when we couldn't conceive naturally, I think an added little bonus for us was the fact that because we did have to go that extra mile to conceive, we were always that extra bit appreciative of being pregnant. So we really like relished in the fact that we were able to be pregnant and able to carry I was able to carry babies because I know that that's not the case for everybody. Yeah, it gives you perspective. Definitely. It's been a long time, five years on. What does life look like now for your family? You touched on it before where Leo travels with you. Um, the boys will kiss the the ashes before bed every night. What does life look like now as a family of six? It's great. It's so much fun. I just think we're just so grateful for our family and I – I just remember, I remember sitting there the other day on the couch, I think I told you this, and sitting there and I looked down on the couch and we were all sitting there in a row. I think Rory had someone on his lap and the boys were there and something simple like watching TV or something at the end of the day. And I just remember looking down and I just had this smile on my face and I was like, I just cannot believe where we are five years down the track. Like I just, I felt so proud of how far we have come as a couple with our family. Like I just, in the moment of having Leo, I just never looked ahead and saw this life for us. And I just think we're just so grateful for those little moments of even if it is sitting there watching TV and the kids are completely locked into that, just having that time together and just everyone being here happy and healthy just living the simple life together, I think they're the best moments. And Rory, you've had five birthdays for Leo. Yeah. What do you do each year on his birthday? We uh, do a few things. We get up in the morning and 
will normally write some notes to him on helium balloons. And this is one thing, touch on how instead of having a funeral for him, we just want to do something intimate at home. And this stemmed from his funeral, basically, we had at home. But we had a whole bunch of helium balloons that we write just messages on. Really therapeutic. No one else gets to see, see your balloon other than yourself. So you can write down anything you want to say to, to Leo. And we release those into the sky. And the kids do that now. Sonny loves it. Bodie loves it. They just draw on there, really. Um, but yeah, and our family, if they're over across his birthday, they'll all join in too. So that's a great moment for us. Very therapeutic. The boys do cupcakes, uh, lion cupcakes for him. Just decorate some cupcakes across the day. Again, that's just a really nice little moment, a really fun moment that we have. And they just get to talk about, about their big brother. Beautiful. Um, but going back on what life looks like now, the other thing is Leo being our firstborn has completely shaped our whole family. I mean, without having what had happened to Leo, if that didn't happen, the timings of everything changed completely. So we don't have Sunny, we don't have Bodie, we don't have Summer, if that makes sense. Like the, it happened then and now we've ended up with three very beautiful, healthy children. So... You can't not be, well, for me, you can't not be grateful and you can't look at how good it is to have three healthy, beautiful children because if what didn't happen happened to Leo, we wouldn't have the three children we have now either too. So for me, that's a really nice thing to think of and yeah, he's, he's, he's helped create this, this beautiful family and we have so many, yeah, so many unbelievable memories with, with the children we have now as well. And does he still come to you to this day? in those moments when you see something beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I suppose I just share them more often now. Um, and that's been the best part about sharing it with our family and friends is uh, I feel so comfortable in just pointing them out to people, <laughs> um, which As I do regularly. Us, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And speaking of sharing, there are six babies stillborn every day in this yeah. country. And as you described, in your case, a third of them have got no cause identified. So it is heartbreakingly common. Tell me about your work with Red Nose Australia. Well, yeah, so Australian stats have not changed in a ridiculous amount of years and we're just so far behind where Europe and, you know, other countries are. So Red Nose is really trying to change that and the best way that that can change is research. So Red Nose has started doing a lot more research into stillbirth to to try and change this number of the amount of stillbirths every day because six is a lot. Like that is extreme. That is six parents being told your baby's died. So that just really needs to change. So I think and some, some of the stuff Belinda's already mentioned too, like feeling comfortable to go to the hospital Definitely. and have these scans and checkups, you'll never get knocked back. Kick counting as well. Um, yeah, I think there's always that thought of like, do I go? But what if everything's fine? Well, what if everything's not fine? That's what hospitals are there for. You know, the the staff will always, always, always take you in and do that CTG. Just any time. That's, that's the main thing, like the main messaging. That's right. And that's one of the key tips from Red Nose uh, in to reduce the incidence of stillbirth during pregnancy. Be conscious of baby's movements like a kick count, as you said, Rory, seeking uh scanning or, or medical review if something changes, generally leading a healthy lifestyle, not smoking, not being around people who smoke, and also alternating the sides that you sleep on from 28 weeks onwards. You talked about 
six parents, six sets of families having to hear those words every day in this country. I want to ask you both, what is your advice to someone who find themselves in this situation? So the advice to someone going through it themselves, I think would be just make as many memories as you can in that time that you have, because as I said earlier, that's something you can't change, you can't go back on. So I think that's definitely a really important one. I'd say I'd say what really helped us was seeking some help, our grief counsel. That was that was the best money ever ever spent, I think, for for a couple going through their their first birth. Being a stillbirth, that was that certainly helped us a lot um, and helped us feel comfortable to share how each other was really feeling and that it was okay to com- to grieve completely diff- in different ways. And I think also it's so hard to hear at the time that this pain will, it will get easier. Um, the pain will slowly fade and life will remain as, I mean, it's never, it, you've got a new normal and I think it's hard in that moment to think, how am I ever going to be happy again? But I just, I don't know how to describe to people that you will get there. You will feel happy again. And more often than not, you will have that family that you've dreamed of. And I just think, like, look at us five years down the track. If you didn't know us at all, you would look at us and think, wow, look at those people with the, you know, you might be going through fertility problems yourself. You look at us and say, oh, those people have three kids, like so easy for some. No, it's, it's a, everyone's got their own story, as Rory said. It's just, it takes time and you can't rush grief, but eventually it will get easier and hopefully you will have that happy ending that you always imagined. Rory, how was the footy club? Yeah, incredible. Um, so good. Footy clubs have always been such an unbelievable support system. Um, yeah, I remember that the following weekend, I reckon they were playing. The boys all went on a away trip, played Carlton down there. They won. I get this big yeah, happy photo. Yeah, thanks for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> I just had to make sure I get that one in. <laughs> I got this huge photo of them all in the rooms after the game, um, and it was just smiles on their faces. Um, all with the black armbands on. Yeah, and they just started thinking of you. Um, and that was just, that's all I needed. All, that's all I needed at that time. It was, it was such a nice gesture. Beautiful. Well, that was the incredible pairing of Belle and Rory Sloan. Just phenomenal to see such strength born out of tragedy. There are links to resources in the show notes as well as a link to Red Nose Australia. I strongly encourage you to get on board and get involved. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And to enjoy more parenting stories like this one, please like, follow, subscribe and share Dr Golly and the experts wherever you listen. For any information on my sleep programs or new book, head to drgully.com. Just before you go, I have a quick favour to ask. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love if you could rate and review the show so that more people can find us and hear the incredible stories of my phenomenal guests. Thank you.